Hey, this is Pod Vader here from Blog Talk Radio, and you're listening to Curious Minds, the best podcast in the world. The universe, really. From PI Media, this is Curious Minds. I'm Ran Levy. Heroes of Podcasting, a special series on the history and future of podcasting. This episode, Leo Laporte from This Week in Tech. I think, it, you know, the word podcast will fade out, just as the word blog has kind of, bloggers kind of faded out. Even though they're supposedly non-commercial, um, if you listen to public broadcasting in the United States or watch public broadcasting in the United States, you'll notice it's almost indistinguishable from commercial broadcasting in other countries. Those are ads. I'm sorry. If a company's giving you money for, a met, for an ad, it's an ad. And it bothers me that they pretend it's not an ad. Apple is always a love-hate relationship. I use a lot of Apple products. Uh, I, I even said this the day iTunes added podcasts that would be the, both the best thing that ever happened to podcasts and the worst thing. Hi, this is the second part of our Heroes of Podcasting series. As some of our listeners probably already know, I'm from Israel. Last July, there was a big annual podcasting convention in Chicago called Podcast Movement, and I decided to cross the ocean and do the 16 hours of flight plus the jet lag to attend it. Since Podcast Movement attracts many podcasters from all over the US and obviously beyond, I also decided to take the opportunity and interview some of the early podcasting pioneers for a special series that will tell the story of podcasting back from its early roots in MP3 and RSS technology all the way to the current and future challenges faced by this young and vibrant media we all love dearly. This time, we're interviewing Leo Laporte, who is one of the very first podcasters. In 2005, Leo left, or almost left, traditional radio to start his own podcasting network, centered around cutting-edge technology news called Twit. Twit quickly became one of the most successful podcast networks, with millions of downloads and award-winning shows such as This Week in Tech, Security Now, and the new screensavers. Now, this particular interview has an interesting backstory. As you may know, I have a podcast in Israel, in Hebrew, called Making History. In 2011, I celebrated my 100th episode of Making History. And for that special occasion, I interviewed Leo Laporte about his own personal story, since Leo was always one of my own personal podcasting heroes. We'll first hear the original interview from 2011, and then the newer one I did in 2016, and as you'll see, it will be very interesting to see how much have things changed for Leo in the past five years, so we'll have a unique perspective on the developments in podcasting in that time frame. So let's start with the first interview I did with Leo back in 2011. So my name is Leo Laporte. I am a podcaster, although uh, for a long time I've kind of eschewed the word podcast as being kind of not the best description of what we do. But in fact, that's what everybody knows it as. So uh, I am proud that uh, I've been doing this for uh, five years, almost six years uh, now, and uh, run a podcast network out of the uh, U.S. To, that covers technology uh, stories called TWIT, which is short for This Week in Tech. It's online at TWIT.com. TV. One of the reasons I don't like, and I mentioned at the beginning, I don't like the word podcast, is it, it kind of implies an audio file you download and put on an iPod. And uh, really, I think that what podcasting is, is much bigger than that. It's not podcasting. It's new media. It's a new way of creating programming and distributing it over the internet so that you don't have the financial, you know, economic constraints of traditional broadcasting. You don't even have the formatic constraints of traditional broadcasting. It's, it's, it's virtually a new medium, but a new medium that is a, a successor to traditional radio and television. I, I don't like the idea that you have to, you know, that, that it, the podcasting implies that you have to download it and put it on a device, for instance. A lot of what we do and where I think our future lies is in live streaming to the Internet, a TV station that you can watch by pointing your browser to our, our website. That, to me, 
he's as much a future of what I'm doing and much a future of new media as the idea of downloading a file and putting on an iPod is. So I don't like the word podcasting because I think it's small. It uh, it limits uh, what we're talking about. And in fact, I think that there are some real limits to podcasting per se. I think that we've already seen this. I don't know if you've seen it, Ron, in, in your experience, but I certainly have seen it with our shows and with many of my friends' shows in the States, that there's a certain size you can get to, and beyond that, you just can't grow. There's a ceiling. And I think that that number is the number of people who can figure out how to put something on a downloadable device. It's a limited number. The people who have the – it takes a lot – it's a lot of trouble, a lot more trouble to listen to a podcast than to listen to a radio show. You have to figure out what the podcast location is, where it is. You have to find – or find it on iTunes, for instance. Then there's this kind of subtle barrier of pressing the subscribe button. Is this going to cost me money? Am I going to get a bill? Is it free? Then you have to figure out, okay, now I've subscribed to it. You have to check iTunes regularly to see if the show's there. And you can either listen to it on the computer, which nobody really wants to do, or you have to have an iPod or some other device that you hook up to the computer's sync, and then you find it on your iPod. That's a lot of work. Naturally, being an aspiring podcaster, one of the very first things I asked Leo was, Leo, what's your secret? I wish I could, Ron. If I could, I'd make another one. Uh, the pro- it's, it's kind of baffling to me. Twit is the first – well, actually, that's not true. The first podcast I did uh, was uh, a repurposing of a, uh, the radio show. I do a technology call-in radio show in the U.S., the Tech Guy Show. That was my first. Twit followed uh, about six months later. Uh, it was in April 2005 that we did the first Twit podcast. And uh, it very quickly grew to uh, a couple hundred thousand uh, listeners. It, it uh, and it's held on to its popularity, and I'm not sure why. I think <laughs> uh, it's the personality of the people. You know, it's um, it's not the quality of the content particularly. Although I think people are very interested in uh, in the technology news that we cover. But really, it's the it's the quality of the journalists uh, we bring on to talk about tech news. It's not you know we don't do any reporting really on that show. It's it's all analysis. You know, I was um, I was in uh, Dubai about a year and a half ago uh, speaking to the Arab world, and uh, it was at TEDx Dubai. And my message there in my little eighteen minute speech was that uh, it's. It's really important that you not let mainstream media tell your story. The tools exist now for you to tell your story directly uh, and not intermediated by big media. And I think for the Arab world, that was a very important message because at least here in the States, I, I think that we had a very kind of distorted view of the Arab world. I think we also have a somewhat distorted view of Israel. In fact, this is true for, for any, uh, any country. Um, that if you let mainstream media tell your story, it's going to be distorted. So what these new democratized forms of media do is they give everybody a chance to have a voice and have their story be told. So the message, and I think it's a very important message, is don't let that chance pass by. Uh, take advantage of it. Use these new tools to tell your story, whether it's a blog, a podcast, um, a video on YouTube. Uh, get, let, let people hear your true, authentic voice um, because we've never had such a great opportunity uh, before, and it's, it's very exciting. So now, let's move on to the interview I did with Leo in his Brick House studio in 2016, right before the whole Twit crew was scheduled to move to a new studio at the other side of the city of Petaluma. Now, when I met Leo in person, he didn't recognize me since the first interview in 2011 was recorded via Skype. I decided... To surprise him. My name is Leo Laporte. Uh, I run a podcast network called Twit, which uh, is not a pregnant goldfish nor a buffoon, but in fact stands for This Week in Tech. And we've been doing uh, podcasts on the Twit network starting in August of 20, oh, 2005, 2005. So quite a while. Quite a while. So here's my little surprise for you, Leo. Listen carefully. Okay. Hello. Hello, Leo Laporte here. Michelle. So, my name is Leo Laporte. I am a podcaster, although uh, for a long time I've kind of eschewed the word podcast as being kind of not the best description of what we do, but in fact, that's what everybody knows it as. So, I, I am proud that uh, I've been doing this for uh, five years, almost uh, six years. Uh, now. Five years. And uh, run a ha, podcast amateur. in the uh, U.S. To, that covers technology uh, stories. I remember doing Twitch, this, by the way. Which is short for this week in tech. It's online at TW. 
WIT dot I was much better at plugging back then. <laughs> exactly. Okay, what we're talking about. Was that you? That was oh, me. Oh, that's great. Well, now ago. I remember you. Yeah, yeah. We did. Um, I remember doing that, yeah. For my Israeli show. Right. It was my 100th episode, a special uh, episode on the History of Podcast. Neat. And I managed to have you as a guest. There's more history was... now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and you'll, listen, you'll know in a minute why that's important for our talk today. Your roots were in traditional radio. Radio, yeah. And you still partly are in traditional oh, yeah. radio. Oh, yeah, a big part well, of my... Why did you move to podcasting as a new media? Well, I was already... So, um, I was already doing... Um, putting audio on the internet. So, that wasn't anything new. The only thing that was new was, you know, here I was, I was doing a radio show out of Los Angeles and we were putting every show on the internet. You could download an MP3 of it. Been doing that for a year. And uh, a kid called me, I remember uh, very well. Uh, and uh, he uh, he said, are you doing a podcast? I said, what's that? I don't know. What are you talking about? Oh, I, and he explained it was just an RSS feed of your audio. I said, well, I'm already doing the audio. And literally that day I was able to, and I had to make it by hand, write the XML for an RSS feed. So I had a podcast. So that was in 2004. That was in October 2004. Really um, early. Yeah, I would say that was, podcasting was a month old. I mean, you know, the, the, the genesis of podcast goes back many years before that. But the, but kind of as we know it, the podcast feed created as an RSS feed with binary uh, file attachments. You know, Adam Curry had asked, um, uh, Dave Weiner to to um, modify RSS to include that. I think Adam had in his mind exactly you know this. He wrote uh, early podcast client, so that all happened in the fall of two thousand four. So yeah, very pretty early on. But it you know, and it wasn't really until the August of the next year or April of the next year when we started Twit and did the first Twit show um, that I saw it as more than just another way to distribute the audio I was already distributing. Okay, so back in 2011, you said the name podcast is, is something, that, something that you, well, you, you're willing to use begrudgingly. Well, only because you have to use language that people understand, right? Um, but and I always thought it was... think the same, yeah. the same today? It's, well, it's clear now that that isn't a very good description of what we're doing. First of all, people aren't using iPods anymore, so it doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense, really. In the interim, uh, Apple went after some people for using the word you know, pod. So there was always some question whether, you know, it was really appropriate to use an Apple trademark. It isn't an Apple phenomenon as much as, and, and Apple, it's easy to think it is, especially during the iTunes era, because Apple was the first and for many, the only way that they ever listened to podcasts. So, uh, but I really never wanted it to be tied to any one company or technology. I also thought it didn't fully describe many of the things that internet broadcasters might want to do. We do, for instance, now, you know, a 24-hour stream, it's not something you could download and put on your iPod or any other device. It's a live stream, much more like a television station on the Internet. And so podcast doesn't describe that. Is that a separate activity? I always thought it was a mistake for podcasters to say there were podcasters in this. You know, obviously, that's how you would describe it. And I still do when I talk to people. I'm a podcaster. But it... Um, it's bad for you to think of yourself as a podcaster because that's really kind of limiting. Just as it would be bad to think of yourself as a blogger, uh, if you're a blogger, you should think of yourself as a writer who uses the internet to publish your writing. If you're a podcaster, you should think of uh, yourself as, I think broadcast is still a good word, as a broadcaster who uses the internet as your medium, not the airwaves. So I prefer the word netcast. I really liked netcast and I really tried to get people to use it. It didn't have a brand name associated with it. It was, it was independent. It kind of implied the idea of casting a net, which I love. The idea of casting a net and, and, and bringing in listeners. And, and, and it really also describes better what we do, which is build a community, not just kind of broadcast or, you know, monologue, but build a community. So I liked netcast. And of course, we're broadcasts on the internet. So it even made more sense. I wish that that had become, you know, the name we still, you know, say in our, material were a netcast but the problem is nobody knows what that means i think it, you know the word podcast will fade out just as the word blog has kind of bloggers kind of faded out you know people still would say things like well you know the verge is a blog or engadget is a blog but does that really describe very well what what 
those those blogs are and I don't think so they're online publications and I probably should have in hindsight not said let's stop calling ourselves podcasts let's call ourselves something else and I lobbied for netcast and I did that at the first or second podcast expo at the keynote in that so that was a long time ago and people really mocked it uh, I probably shouldn't have said it that way I should have said it's fine to call yourself a podcast but don't think of yourself as a podcast think of yourself as an internet broadcaster or somebody who uses the internet as a medium for your audio and video that's a much better way to think of yourself and much less demeaning and and kind of ghettoizing already in 2011 you stressed how important is a video to the future of let's say podcasting do you think that it's still that important? no I was wrong on that. <laughs> so um, in one regard it was first of all it's so much easier simpler and less expensive faster in every way better to do audio and it turns out your audience mostly wants audio because they can listen in the car it's much more convenient we don't sitting down and watching video requires a lot more attention and it, there's not as much time to do it so there's a lot more time to listen to audio so even for us and we do so much video everything we do is in video and high quality video too not just kind of as an afterthought but high quality video and it's still only maybe it depends on the show some shows it's more than half of our audience shows that are particularly visual but most shows it's 20 percent no more than a quarter or a third of our audience people audio makes sense it's easier um so the only but the advantage of video and the reason we started doing video is it's sexier and so you get more coverage you get more attention um it it it's a nice adjunct because people can see you they can imagine you in a place they can see where you are we built this studio not you know this was a million dollar studio that we built it was very expensive uh and we built it for a few reasons one to kind of say to the world we're this is not some guy in his basement this is an, a business it's uh, got staying power we're going to be around we are something because advertisers are investing in you when they buy ads they're assuming that you're you know, you, you know, you're not flighty, and you, that you're serious about what you're doing. We're so, professional. yeah, we're professional. So we wanted to really est establish a look and a feel to the shows and the website and everything we do that's professional. It makes it easier to get advertising, but also kind of reassures the audience. I mean, on the one hand, a lot of audiences like the informal. You know, the Don and Drew were sitting on TV trays in our uh, kitchen talking about life. That's great. I'm not demeaning that in any way. Uh, many people kind of prefer the that kind of podcast, and that's really what, to me, that's what the word podcast conveys: is a, a couple of guys or a couple of gals talking about personal stuff, kind of without an agenda. That's a podcast to me. It's one of the reasons I don't think podcast applies necessarily to kinds of stuff that many of us do. Um, and that's fine. That's good. And that's audio. That's not video. Um, so, and I was wrong. At, I thought there'd be more uptake of video. But now I realize, of course, it's just not convenient for people. I think it's if if you can do it, it's a nice. I'm glad we're doing it. I'm not going to stop doing. It. I've considered stopping because it is a great expense. Yes, the entire studio here is basically devoted to the visual elements, which is yeah, for most of the audience, uh, completely wasted. It's completely lost on them. I have to even remember, and it's a disadvantage for us too because I have to remind. I did this yesterday. Our staff meeting, our our hosts, our staff, everybody. Most people are not watching. So if you show a video, you can't show it without comment. If you you can't say, look at this, it's kind of second nature for me because I've worked in radio for 40 years. So I'm used to the idea. And yet, you know, I still lose. Tr I forget all the time that people aren't seeing because it's natural. I mean, you're just kind of biologically tuned to the fact that somebody's sitting across from you. And I do want our hosts and I want to feel like I'm talking to somebody sitting across from me as opposed to some distant person in a car so it's just uh it's a, it's a challenge to do it it's expensive uh, it, but at the same time i there's some value to it and we'll keep doing it um we, the new studio we're building is much less grandiose it's a little smaller it doesn't have windows to the outside world you know this was we built this with a storefront hoping that um people would, people would walk by. by and look in and stuff Style NBC, I think it was the yeah, morning show style. Yeah, the morning shows on, uh, on all the networks do this. And uh, some of the MTV shows uh, also did it that way. And I liked that idea. And I kind of had this imaginary uh, you know, vision that there would be people outside waving and things. But that doesn't happen. But 
it does have some, you know, it's wonderful because for me, I'm not working in a cave. And uh, it's for the audience watching. They do see people walk by. They see cars drop by. And they, it gives them a sense of that we're in a real place. We're going to lose that. The new place is more like a traditional television studio. It's sealed in, you know, and we'll have to kind of simulate light and windows and stuff. And I'm actually worried a little bit about me psychologically spending eight hours a day in this cave. I have to see how I feel. Have to paint a uh, blue sky. We actually are, you know, we're faking it, but I don't know if that'll fool my mind, my body. <laughs> uh, so it, what we're building is a little less grandiose, a little less expensive. It's about half the cost, half the size. Um, the rent is half as expensive. We spent, I mean, you know, the power bill here is five thousand dollars a month. It's not a inexpensive operation, and um, uh, you know. About 80% of the profit goes back into the operation, maybe more. So it's not, um, you, you, we, we're paying a premium to communicate this idea of place, clubhouse, professionalism, business, you know, all of those meanings. I wanted to convey those, but uh, I, I ask myself, is it worth the price we pay for it? I can tell you that as a listener, Having an image in my mind of the helpful. Twit Cottage yeah. as, a, as a real place, as a place. Is, is a real big advantage, I even agree. though I consume all the shows only in audio form. Yeah, that's why we do that. Knowing that there's a central place where yeah. real people work at yeah. does wonders for my sense of uh, watching Twit as an organization, as a professional outfit. Or not, you, you, As I said, that's a virtue that you, sometimes. Exactly. But it does tr- I'm glad to hear that. That, <laughs> that my thought is correct because <laughs> um, that's, that's exactly what we're And I always, you know, especially with technology, um, technology can be very abstract and very dehumanizing, anti-human. And um, I got this idea uh, from um, a book many decades ago Um about consciousness and uh, I can't remember if it was Alvin Toffler who just recently passed away in his book Future Shock um, I think it was not but it, it, the, the, the phrase high tech high touch which was in order to counter the kind of brushed aluminum and aesthetic uh, mechanical feel of technology coverage it was important that we make it human scale and so, in fact, this goes back to my thinking even in the early 90s when we pitched a show to uh, NBC. Um, I always wanted to do uh, technology shows, but I always <clears throat> tried to pitch them in like in a Victorian house. The idea being to bring it to human scale so that it's not as distancing and dehumanizing. So I've always kept that in mind. So you notice the way we've done this is kind of almost steampunky where you have a lot of really uh, old-fashioned touches, and that's intentional. The aesthetic is the aesthetic. And uh, I also, it's, you know, I have I never studied broadcasting, but I've absorbed a lot of the theory and stuff from various uh, mentors and things. And, and I dimly remember that a sense of place is also very important, that when you're when you're doing a show... You want to have, you don't want it floating in space. You, and, and radio tends to be kind of a, a, a disembodied voice coming out of the air. That's really not what you want. Humans aren't biologically suited to that. You want to feel like you're sitting, like I said, sitting across from somebody. So having, even if you don't see it, I grew up listening to a guy in San Francisco. Uh, his name was Jasbo Collins. He was a very famous, uh, broadcaster music he was a dj in the uh, 50s and 60s he did jazz and stuff and he always talked about he was coming from the purple grotto deep below the studio and he had an owl in there and stuff and he was very intuitive about creating this sense of it was a magical place but creating the sense of place and you really saw him there and that's the best thing about audio i almost said radio but really it's true for podcasts too about audio is that you have the opportunity to fill in details and they don't have to be real uh it's so much harder with video because it has to be real uh but with audio you can paint the most amazing sets and if if uh, that's one advice a piece of advice i'd give to any podcaster is you take advantage of that put you know adam curry used to do this in the early days uh uh, you know the source code uh daily source code his wife would come in and bring him things and you'd hear the footsteps coming you'd hear the cup of coffee you'd hear him smoking a cigarette and it would 
it was grounded in a way. He's a very good intuitive broadcaster, and he would get that. That's important. You can't just be a voice out of the clouds. Let's talk about growth. Back then, you had about what you said, four to five million downloads per month, yeah. and you were one of the probably one of the biggest five podcasts in the net. Right. You don't have to, of course, get into commercial secrets or anything. Uh, what has been the situation in the last five years? How was the growth? Uh, well, initially, we were doubling every year. Um, that obviously isn't going to continue forever because <laughs> you run out of people. Um, we The audience grows about 10% a year. As long as it's growing, I don't care exactly. In fact, I don't really want it to grow too much because um, I, I'm looking really at a targeted audience. I want to be, I don't want to be, I want to be better, not bigger. So um, I know we're not a general interest show, so I don't expect us to grow hugely. But we're at 7 million now, for instance, 7 million downloads a month. Um, we are probably still, we're certainly in the top five tech podcasts, if not in the top one or two. Um, PodTrack just did their uh, first listing of podcast sizes. Of course, it's limited to people who use the PodTrack measurement. Um, but I think we were six on the list. And the, the ones above us were big, big, you know, serial and stuff like that. Serial's the biggest. Um, numbers in podcasting are tough because uh, there's no agreed upon way to measure. And um, the measurement system we use, we, we do our own as well as use PodTracks, is conservative by design. Um, we don't want to overestimate audience numbers. In terms of revenue, uh, it's gone up pretty consistently. We just crossed $10 million a year revenue. Uh, and I feel very good about that. I think that that's excellent growth. Our advertisers, we're, we're not completely sold out, but we're mostly sold out. The biggest shows are all sold out. Um, our prices are, are relatively high for the, it, both the industry and certainly for broadcasting. Um, uh, and 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 we have several uh, advertisers who have been with us for uh, the whole time for all ten years. So, uh, I, well, or eight years or whatever it is since we started uh, advertising. I think it's eight years ago we started advertising. So we're eleven years old now. So that's about right. I think it was two or three years before we said, "All right, we give up. We can't do this on uh, audience donations. We're going to have to advertise." And Audible's been with us since then. Squarespace has been with us since then. And what's interesting uh, to me, it's a little bit disheartening, but. Uh, the companies that started with us now advertise on all podcasts. We were so successful for them. They bought it. They said, yeah, this works. We're going to buy more podcasts. So people often complain to me, God, I hear the same advertisers on every podcast. That, unfortunately, is those are the people who got it. I'm proud to say many of them started with us and ended up being on many other shows. But um, the challenge we still face is convincing. And we're, we spend a lot of time, because we do in-house sales now as well, um, educating. Um, Lisa just met with a big digital agency. This is an agency that specializes in digital marketing, like technology marketing, had knew nothing about podcasts. And she spent the whole, almost the whole day with them, kind of educating them. And they had lots of questions about the, and we know podcasting is very effective. The right shows that have built the right audiences with the hosts that know how to do advertisements do very spectacularly well. Um, you know, compared to other broadcast ads, um, our, uh, the ads we do are incredibly effective uh, and very efficient for the spend. But here's an agency that specializes in digital had never even considered podcasts. So the good news is I think ser the success of Serial and the, the kind of the PBS NPR related podcasts in the United States um, – have really raised awareness not only with the audience but also with advertisers and this is, comes at a time when advertisers find that television traditional advertising isn't working as well as they want it to they aren't reaching a lot of audiences now and that's going to only ch increase you know young people don't watch tv so we're hopeful that we feel like that the trend is our friend and that we will continue to grow so the growth is there. It's not as astronomical as it used to be, but I wouldn't expect that. But it's very solid. Um, you know, where I would start to worry is if the audience started to shrink or ad dollars started to go down. Then that would be perhaps a sign that, you know, we'd, we'd, the bubble was ending or something. But I don't think it's a bubble. I really think, uh, you know, every from everywhere I can understand it's it that demand. there's demand and internet broadcasting of, of some kind is the future. 
IPTV, um, uh, podcasting uh, is really the future. That's people. And it, the nice thing about what we do is we have a truly global audience. So the growth can occur not just in the U.S., but all over the world. And so there's a big upside for this. I think a very big upside. You know, we're in English, so that means it has to be English language listeners. But that, you know, if you're going to pick one language, that's probably the one that's to pick, right? Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of Scandinavian listeners. We have a lot of listeners, of course, in the English language countries like Australia and Canada and the U.K. Um, but it's growing, and I, I'm, I'm really pleased to see it growing in Asia. Um there's a lot of interest in China in learning English. So I think a technology podcast in English is probably a good thing uh, in, in, for China and, uh, and other parts of Asia. You know, it, it's not going to grow as fast, but it's growing. It's strong. And we don't want to be, like I said, we don't expect to be, because we're not general interest uh, as big as cereal. We are aiming at a, and I don't want to ever stop aiming at a tech enthusiast audience. That's our audience. That's that's. We want to super serve them. We're not trying to get too big. You mentioned NPR. Is there a basic divide in, in the U.S. podcasting scene between the NPR as an organization or not organization, as a style of yes, podcasting? Yes, very much. Oh. <laughs> so NPR stands for National Public Radio. It's our public broadcasting in the U.S. Public broadcasting in the U.S. is not the same as public broadcasting elsewhere. It's not government-funded Uh, or government run it is they, they do get some funding from the government it's always under assault uh, most of their funding comes from they call it listeners like you that the audience donations increasingly and this is something that very much bothers me it comes from advertising even though they're supposedly non-commercial um, if you listen to public broadcasting in the United States or watch public broadcasting in the United States you'll notice it's almost indistinguishable from commercial broadcasting in other countries They have ads and they don't like to think of it that way. And they have some weird rules about how they do the ads, but they're, those are ads. I'm sorry. If a company's giving you money for a met for an ad, it's an ad. And it bothers me that they pretend it's not an ad. That's fine. Um, there is definitely a stylistic difference. And, you know, there's, by the way, I think this American life is the best radio show that's ever been done ever anywhere. I mean, this, this Ira Glass is brilliant and I really think it's a great show. So I'm not knocking. the style at all but it is a unique distinct style from the much more informal less prepared far less edited if edited at all uh, style of podcasting that most podcasts are um, it's you know this American life serial um, the uh, 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 the planet money guys who've gone on to do what is startup all of that is highly produced highly edited it's very different from the What I consider more grassroots authentic style um, we're somewhere in between we don't edit but we try to have a higher standard of professionalism than somebody broadcasting out of their kitchen um, so we're kind of somewhere in in between um, I it it's you know it's just it's just you know childish of me but um, you know we've been doing this for 11 years all of a sudden NPR folks like the planet money folks and cereal and and this American life come along and the big media in New York suddenly says podcasting's here it's like well yeah no it's been here all along <laughs> this isn't a Renaissance you just know you just woke up and noticed because your group is doing it however there's great stuff being done by salon and WNYC and you know uh, all these new uh, networks that are coming out of uh, WNYC coming out of uh, public broadcasting. It's a different style. Uh, they do great stuff. Uh, it wins a new audience. It wins that public broadcasting audience. Uh, I think it's, you know, they're going to have a challenge because the broadcast side of public broadcasting is very powerful, the stations. And they recently, um, for instance, uh, NPR stopped promoting its podcasts because they realized it was offensive to the local stations famous letter that yeah NPR's chief and so they're going to struggle with that a little bit um that's that's the, that's the interesting thing about podcasting um incumbents who have a business a traditional broadcast business are certainly part of it but they can never be fully engaged because they're they're they don't want to cannibalize their existing business and i really like the independent side of podcasting because we don't there's no risk we're not worried about cannibalizing existing business there's you know this is the business we are 100 in this business 
So I kind of, you know, the, uh, I'm sure other podcasters look at me and say, oh, yeah, Leo has a natural advantage because he came from broadcasting, so he had an existing audience. He, he still does a radio show, which generates uh, audience for his podcast, and that's all true. So I am also taking advantage of that. Um, and, but, uh, I feel like if, if, if you're, a, if you already have a radio station or a network of radio stations and you're doing podcasts, you're not a, f- you're not fully in the podcast milieu. You're really, you're, you're dabbling in it. And, uh, and it, of course, it irks me that they're so darn successful at it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but it's good. We won't the, tell them. No the real, the only, the real threats to podcasting don't come from them at all. They've been a huge help to the the community. The real threat to podcasting comes from uh, groups like Podcast One that are selling podcast ads that are throwaway, disposable ads, and they're charging rates that are radio rates, much lower costs. Uh, and what they do is they pollute the water because people who try podcasts often try them first because they're cheap. And they have terrible results, and then they conclude, "Oh yeah, podcasting this, and nobody's going to." That's so. We we really have kind of a, a higher. We we look for a higher end experience. We don't even consider what we do sales. Um, we sales implies you're trying to con- talk somebody into buying an ad. We not we try to talk people out of buying ads. We turn down people all the time. We are not trying to get people to buy ads on our network. We're looking for companies to form relationships with us so that we can introduce those companies to our audience. And it's a very different kind of relationship. Uh, And it's sometimes challenging both for us and for the advertisers because, well, a lot of people get insulted when we say, no, we're not going to take your ad. Um, What's wrong with us? (laughs) Our money's as good as anybody else's. Yeah, but it's not about your money. It's about your product. And I'm not comfortable promoting your product to our audience. Um, that's a very uncomfortable conversation. We have that conversation almost daily. Um, so uh, I, I think the challenge for podcasters, the temptation for anybody is to follow the money, to chase the money. And I think that my really strong message to podcasters is not to chase the money, but to to maintain quality, to retain the integrity of your show and your relationship with your audience and to think of an advertiser uh, as as a a peer with your audience and and as a company that you're introducing to your audience and they need to be just as when you make an introduction hey you know i'd like you to meet my friend you you're saying something you're saying uh, uh, you know this is a quality person and you should know this person think of it the same way with advertising it's uh it's about introducing uh, your community and you, your community comes first f- totally uh, ahead of any other interest is your has to be your community and you know I said that at the staff meeting yesterday too is that um, our only concern is are we serving the community I was talking about um, how we craft our little blurbs and marketing messages and stuff and I said there's a temptation to say let's write the thing that will generate the largest audience link bait and i said please don't <laughs> your number one job is to th- is to think of your community and the audience and to serve them and link bait doesn't serve people because it tricks people we are not here to trick people we're here to inform them <coughs> and the tease that you write excuse me <coughs> the tease that you write is is not a tease to trick them to listen. It's an informative blurb to tell them what you're going to hear in the show. Here's what's coming up in this show. Here's what this show's going to be like. Uh, and if you do that right, it will be a valuable, informative piece of copy as opposed to something that tricks people. And so in every respect, whether it comes to advertising, marketing, the audience is first. The commun- It's a community and the community is first. And it's hard sometimes, you know, sometimes you get caught up in, I got to make payroll. I got to, you know, pay for this. And I know it's there's a lot of pressure when you have a business. Um, or if you're starting out as a podcaster, how do I make some money at this? So the temptation is to um, take what the first thing that comes along. And the more important thing, if, especially if you're starting out, is, your, is building a community. That's what, you're, that's what you 
that's the reward of podcasting. And there is, there can be money in, you can monetize it as long as you're not strip mining it, as long as you're not exploiting it. Um, it, you know, we have to monetize. We have to, you know, pay for it, pay the bills. And we have huge bills, as I mentioned, power bills, <laughs> server bills. Um, I would guess our, you know, monthly costs here are, probably 150 to 200,000 dollars a month. So there's a constant pressure to, you know, if I if I can't pay that next month, I have to shut down the business. So there's this constant pressure and it's really important for me. And it's one of the reasons I have a business partner. I don't want to have to I don't want my hosts to be thinking about that. I don't want to be thinking about that. I want to be thinking about the higher aim and to be convinced and and reassured that the higher aim to serve our community will take care of all the other stuff. And so far it has, and I'm very proud that we've been able to do that. But it's a constant pressure. You know? How did this pressure of establishing a real business behind podcasting change your personal life? Well, I have to work all the time. <laughs> which, 24-7. <laughs> which sucks. <laughs> Especially as I get older. I'm almost, I'll be 60 this year. I... So uh, what's you know normal is you start to think about retirement and think about, well, I obviously can't do this for another 30 years. There's going to be a point in the next few decades, maybe even sooner, where I have to stop. So you have to, uh, you know, uh, I'm not, if I, were, if I were 30, I would say, hey, I'm going to work 24-7. That's great. I'm building something. I'm at the other end of that now. And um, what I do want to continue, I want Twit to continue. Uh, and the real challenge with Twit for me is that it's it's been about me so far, so much that it's hard to think of it continuing without me. But I think we're now really we've turned the corner. We have some really great hosts. We have Father Robert. Uh, we have Jason Howell. We have uh, Megan Maroney. We have really good staff hosts and uh, and maybe forty uh, contract hosts who are really established a personality and they're very established as twit hosts. And I feel like that we've kind of turned the corner on that so that it's less, it can be less and less of me. Um, and that's good. I want to, that's the only hope for uh, continuing. It's the only hope for me getting some free time. <laughs> Five years ago, we discussed how hard it was for the average listener to consume podcasts, uh, downloading, uh, that was the challenge five years challenge. ago. Boy. Where are we now? In that Much aspect? better, right? Everybody who has a smartphone has the capability of listening. Uh, and um, I would say almost every smartphone user probably has at least one app that they can listen to content on. Um, and by the way, the, the really good news is it could be a music app. Spotify, Google Music, all, both have podcasts. Uh, our podcasts are on both of those platforms. Um Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, our shows are on those platforms. Um, Apple Music, not yet, but I hope someday that they will see the value of having uh, uh, spoken word content as well. I remember that you and Apple have kind of <clears throat> I, you know heads along I, the way. Apple is always a love-hate relationship. I use a lot of Apple products. Uh, I, I even said this the day iTunes added podcasts that would be the, both the best thing that ever happened to podcasts and the worst thing. Because the last thing you want is to be tied to one company's success or failure. I'm not a, I'm a big fan of open source non-proprietary technology. I believe technology should not be proprietary in general. Uh, it's not for it's you know there's an advantage to it because if a company can make a pile of money doing something they're going they're more incented to do it and, and all of the great many of the great uh, technological innovations have come from for-profit companies. But we shouldn't also forget that the roots for much of that come from the government in Israel, from the Israeli military, uh, in the United States, from our military, from DARPA. Um, and so it is an interest. It's not the case that private interests are always the best way to forward something. And that's very much our, our dogma in the United States because we're you know, very much market focused. But uh, uh, I think open source non-proprietary is good. And so I don't want Apple to own podcasting. Uh, and I think the more, the more Apple succeeds, the more it has become a closed system. You know, when Apple was the little guy, they had to play in, with, with the other kids. Now they don't have to, you know. And so they're building a castle. 
And I, I feel like that's not good for users. It's tempting for users, but it's a gated community. And ultimately that means homogeneity. You know, you can't, you can't put an app on the app store that espouses a political belief that Apple doesn't support. That's not right. That's crazy. <laughs> Why should Apple be an arbiter of what is uh, okay? But they are. They choose to be. And if you choose to be in the Apple ecosystem, that's the ecosystem you live in. Um, I think that that's not a good thing. So <clears throat> I love the hardware they make. I think uh, iTunes was huge for podcasting, put podcasting on the map. I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> I think I you think the iPhone is a great phone. It inspired even greater phones. Do you think there is a possible, even a realistic possibility that if you once ever say something on the air that maybe makes Apple unhappy, they'll kick you out from the iTunes uh, podcasting section? Well, there's always a risk of that. I don't think they'll do that. I think that would be very, very bad for them to do. <clears throat> and I don't think they're going to do that. And the, and the good news is that we, the iTunes team and I, and I get along very well. They're great. They've been very good to us. But isn't that funny that we have to kiss up to them? It's not, I mean, <clears throat> I, it's never, it, it never entered my mind not to speak honestly about any company that, in the tech sector. I, I, uh, and, you know, I often say things that upset people, uh, especially Apple fans. But, you know, when I am on the Windows show, I also tell people how bad Windows is. It's kind of the same thing. I mean, um, my, 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 uh, my, my mission is to support the user. I represent the end user and, and what our, what I believe our interests are, not any company. And no company should have the power to decide who gets to hear what. The good news is as important as iTunes was, it is no longer nearly as important. It's, le it's now less than half of our total audience comes through iTunes. And that's going to go down to nothing because you don't need iTunes anymore. So that whole thing we talked about five years ago, that's gone. You have apps on your phone. You just say, I want to hear this. You can listen. You know, you, if you have TuneIn, free app, you could say, listen to Twit, and you can hear our live stream. If you have uh, Stitcher, all of our podcasts are there. If you have Google Music, all of our podcasts are there. If you have uh, Spotify, all of our... So we're no longer beholden to Apple. So if uh, Apple decided to kick us... I don't think Apple is that crazy, but if they did... Um, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I don't, to my knowledge, they've never banned a podcast of any, any podcast. That's one thing they've kept their hands off. They understand that they have kind of more of a higher responsibility in that respect. It's not like apps for some reason. Final question. You don't have to be realistic, but where, what do you hope, where do you hope to see yourself in five or 10 years <laughs> from now? On a round the world cruise. <laughs> <laughs> I like to travel. The non -realistic, <laughs> no, I don't think that's unrealistic because I think internet access uh, in five to ten years, I think I could do podcasts from anywhere. I hope to be able to do podcasts from anywhere live. Um, I know I could do recorded podcasts from anywhere now. So I think we're not so far off from me being able being uh, able to take some time off. I, you know, I love what I do. I don't want to ever be off the air. Uh, I can't imagine myself not having uh, the bully pulpit at any time. I love what I do. And I, and, uh, and so I don't, and I'm not saying I'm going to stop doing shows. I, w uh, I would like Twit to be able to stand on its own without my constant presence to have, uh, and I think we're, we're getting very close to that. We have some shows that are very successful without me now, have their own personality, their own style. Um, and I think they're doing great. I'm very proud of what we're doing. Um, so I, I think this is a viable business. I think when you, when you hit 10 million revenue a year, Uh, it's a viable business. Um, you know, we can kind of control how much our profit margin is. We currently reinvest most of that money, a great, you know, a great proportion of that money because I want to build something. But at some point we could be more profitable. Uh, that's kind of up to us. Um, I think, I think this is a viable, you know, there's always, I always consider the risk factors. There's things could happen at any moment that would put us out of business. Advertisers could decide podcasts aren't worth it. Audience could turn against us. That's, you know, we live and die by our community. If the audience doesn't like what we're doing, uh, we're, you know, we're dead and it has to grow because there's always attrition. So you, 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 you need to find new ears. So we're always looking for that. Um, and there's other issues that could, uh, could, could harm us or even put us out of business. You know, bandwidth isn't free. 
Um, we get a lot of great bandwidth deals. We have a lot of great bandwidth partners. Um, but the, if those if those guys decided, uh, you know, if you streamed and went out of business, uh, you know, uh, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of things that could go wrong. It's a problem. You know, but you know, when you run a business, you're always aware of all the things that could just go horribly wrong. <clears throat> but I don't. But I do feel that we're on the right side of history. That. Uh, internet broadcasting is only going to get bigger that advertisers are more and more realizing that this is an effective way to do it our audience i think senses our commitment to them and to serve them and to give them the information they need to navigate this you know modern world um we've got hosts who are growing who are talented who are growing their own audiences so i think in in every respect i feel very bullish so I, you know, 10 years from now, I would like to be doing fewer shows. I'd, I, I think I'll always do some shows. I'd like to be able to travel more, which means I'd like to have the connectivity available that I could do the shows from places other than Petaluma. Um, but, and, and I'd like Twit to be continuing to serve the audience it serves, you know. That's it for this interview. If there's one thing and there were many, but if there was one thing that Leo said that struck a deep chord with me is the importance of building a strong community around your podcast. That is something I always believed in. It was also amazing to see how far we got in the last five years in terms of how easy it is nowadays to listen to podcasts when compared to how things were in 2011. Still, listening to podcasts is nowhere as easy as it should be, I think. And the challenges of monetization are as difficult now as they were back then. What did you think about this interview? How do you listen to podcasts now? And how did you listen to podcasts back then? Let me know at ran, R-A-N, at cmpod.net or on our website, www.cmpod.net. I'd like to thank Leo, Lisa, and all the wonderful people at Twit for their generous hospitality. Tune in to Curious Minds for more episodes in our series Heroes of Podcasting, including interviews with Minyan Fogarty, The Grammar Girl, and Aaron Mankey from Law Podcast. You'll find all previous episodes on our website, cmpod.net, and also on iTunes. Search for Curious Minds Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Curious Minds Pod, and on Facebook. Curious Minds are Kelly O'Loughlin, co-host and editor, Nir Sayag is our sound engineer, Danny Timor is our business manager, and me, Ran Levy, producer and writer. See you again next week. Bye-bye.